a lot of coaches, including myself, say to do this one thing to improve your overall game. But I got to ask, is it true? Am I being truthful? Am I being honest? And here's the thing, and here's the question. Does throwing understable discs actually help you improve your game and increase your skill level? If so, how does it do it? Let's go ahead and let's dig into this topic. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to episode 28 of Teach Play Disc Golf, a Gladiator Disc Golf podcast. I'm your host Antonio and I am so excited to have you with me here today. I am really excited about this episode for a couple reasons. One, we're talking about a really cool topic, something that is very near and dear to me because it's something that I have been working on for a couple years. I have a really cool treat with a pro tip for you guys today. And then after that, we're going to recap the Discmania Open and then preview the MVP Open at Maple Hill. And that will be today's show. So without further ado, let's get into this disc golf skill of throwing understable discs for the purpose of improving your form. Let's figure out, is it actually true? Does it actually help us improve our form and or our uh, overall ceiling? And if so, how? I'm not going to beat around the bush whatsoever about this. I am a firm believer that throwing understable discs helps everyone. But that doesn't mean that you can't ever throw neutral or overstable discs. A lot of times, I have seen this on online forums, some people take the mindset that when they're told to throw one specific type of disc, they think that that's all they're allowed to, and so they kind of buck and push against that. And I understand that. Being told or instructed or coached that, hey, do this to improve this, does not mean that you, even in that time that you're working on things, doesn't mean that you can never go and throw neutral and overstable discs. I'm just saying, and a lot of coaches out there say the same thing, throwing understable discs will help you, throwing them more often will help you get better at throwing those neutral and overstable ones, even as you continue to work on them, as long as you're trying to do the same mechanics and that kind of thing. So, one, one, you know, we are not telling you not to throw that stuff, but what we are saying is that throwing understable discs encourages good throwing habits, especially when you're working on a new skill. And this is super important because the last thing you want is to attempt working on a new skill while trying to do too much to get the disc that you're throwing to fly further. Uh, that's one of the mental barriers that a lot of players have, including myself, when trying to work with neutral and overstable discs when working on a new mechanic in our form. So the, you know, one of the things that helps with a understable disc is that the disc is more forgiving. And what that means is you may not generate as much power as you normally do initially as you're working on something new, but the understability of the disc is going to help you still get flight and distance um, out of your throat. And that's just encouraging. So it, it kind of gives you that encouraging factor while also helping you improve that throw because it's not going to fight out too soon. And so it will give you a little bit more of a accurate interpretation of your throat at that. Now, the other thing 
about throwing an understable disc is that it requires, or excuse me, the biggest thing it will do is correct throwing with your arm. By far, one of the biggest issues for amateur disc golfers is throwing with their arm. Um, and throwing an understable disc will actually help with that. And here's why. Neutral to overstable discs encourage the bad habit of throwing with your arm because we go and throw that disc and it doesn't go as far as we want it. Or it doesn't get turned. Like we might be throwing, you know, a Wraith or a Zeus or, um, you know, something like a Tesla or something, trying to think of other discs out there in different manufacturers, or an Undertaker, right? And we're, we're, it might be too fast and too overstable for us depending on the skill level that we're at. And so we go and throw it, and we realize we're not getting the turn out of it that the disc says it's going to turn. I mean, the flight numbers say it's going to. When we see people on, on YouTube and on Disc Golf Network throwing these discs, they get turned out of it, so I should be able to get turned out of it. And so what ends up happening is players will pull with their arm naturally to try and get more power behind the disc. And what ends up happening is they may start to see that turn, but they may not be seeing real turn. They might be seeing Anheuser, okay? But in the beginning stages, you might start to confuse those two things. So throwing an understable disc, if you go and throw an understable disc, let's say like a, a Jester Peace Train or a Discraft Comet or, you know, an Innova Mako 3, uh, something along those lines that's very neutral to understable. A Discraft Soul is another good example. Uh, what is it? MVP uh, Axiom Hex, I believe, or Axiom Paradox, I believe is the super understable one. You try and throw a Hex or a Paradox or something with your arm as you would uh, an overstable distance driver that supposedly has some turn in the flight numbers. And that thing is going to turn and burn. And so what ends up happening is the understable disc, when you see that you're turning and burning, you're going to start uh, noticing some of the errors in your form. And you're going to start realizing, hey, I'm throwing with my arm here. And I know that because when I do this with an overstable disc, it fights out of the Anheuser. But when I throw an understable disc this way, it just turns and burns. And so we kind of start to figure out, hey, through this process uh, you know, of working with an, uh, an understable disc, we're seeing that, ooh, there are some things about my form that I didn't realize may have been an issue, but now I do. And so that was, that's the next thing uh, that it helps with. The next thing I wanna talk about in regard to throwing an understable disc is that you can focus on your form and mechanics rather than thinking about generating power. And uh, I wanted to say that nice and slow so that I made sure I didn't mess anything up. I'm you know, checking my notes here to make sure I'm saying exactly what I'm wanting to say. Like I just mentioned with throwing with the arm, when you realize you're throwing with your arm, let's say in this example, some of you may struggle with that, some of you may not. And if you do, that's okay. This is a way you can help it. And if you don't, you can still throw an understable disc to help you with some things because there are other parts to the throw that you might uh, need some coaching on and helping with. 
But basically, you can focus on the form and mechanics. So when you realize you're throwing with your arm, you're going to say, okay, I need to not be throwing with my arm. I need to keep it loose. I need to be generating momentum and power starting from the ground up with my lower body, my hips, my legs, my off arm, um, getting the disc to come forward naturally on its own using my back, those kinds of things. You can focus on this, uh, on that form and the mechanics without worrying about what the disc is going to do when you throw it. Because you're not thinking about, I need to generate a ton of power. One of the beautiful things about an understable disc is that even at low power, because it's understable, it might still flip up, but it's at least going to fly and glide and get pretty good distance. That's the beauty of an understable disc. And so while you're working on these skills, you might have some accuracy issues as you're you know, honing some things in, but you're not going to have as big of a distance drop off. Now, if you're doing something really, really bad when you throw an overstable disc, uh, you might notice a little bit of a distance drop off, but for the most part, an understable disc can counteract a lot of the distance drop off that would have if you were making these changes with a neutral or overstable disc because they're going to respond more quickly with fade than a disc like the Comet or the Soul. And so this helps you not worry so much mentally about power and about what the disc is going to do. So you can then rather focus on form and mechanics. And then when you spend more time focusing on those things, all of a sudden you're now able to, or all of a sudden as you focus on those things, what I'm trying to say is you're going to start having more power, so to speak. Your body's going to start getting in a groove. You're going to start uh, training the good habits and breaking the bad habits. And you're going to start getting more power. And then as you throw your neutral and overstable discs, depending on the hole, depending on the course and what you're working on, you're going to notice like, hey, I was only throwing that disc 200 feet but now I'm throwing it 220, 230 feet. And then eventually, hey, I'm getting it to 275, I'm getting it to 350, this, that, and the other thing. You're going to start noticing these incremental increases as you work with understable discs to dial in that form because you're not, ha you're not as mentally uh, focused on generating power like you are when you're throwing an overstable disc, when you're really trying to think and muscle that power, you're by, you, as you learn more about disc golf, you start to realize, I don't have to do as much with an understable disc as I think I do. And so that's what's really helpful about all of this. So I really hope that this helps. We taught, you know, throwing an understable disc helps everyone. And once again, you can still throw neutral and overstable discs while you work on this. But throwing an understable disc is going to encourage good throwing habits, okay, especially as you're working on new skills. It's going to correct throwing with the arm, which is a major problem for a lot of amateur disc golfers. And then on top of that, it's going to uh, help you focus on your form and mechanics rather than focusing solely on generating enough power to get the disc down the fairway or down the field if you're doing some field work. So I hope this helps. If you've been doing this for a while, meaning you've been throwing under stable discs, you've noticed, <clears throat> excuse me, you've noticed the distance gains that I'm talking about, you've noticed the improved form that I'm talking about, 
please comment down below, especially if you're on YouTube, to share your experience with throwing understable discs and to help others as well. And if you're about to try this method and you haven't done it before and you're new here, welcome. Uh, I hope you found this tip helpful. Make sure you let me know how it works for you. You can come back to this video and respond. You can message me on Instagram. You can join my Discord channel and uh, let me know there. So there are a lot of ways that you can let me know how it works for you. Now, I want to just say, we all need help in coaching. Teach Play Disc Golf is about you know community coming together to teach others how to play disc golf, whether they've played before or they've never played before. And it's about getting out and just having fun playing disc golf. Now, I own this podcast. I run this podcast. I've run this channel for four years. We're coming up on four years. Next week um, will be exactly four years to the first video I posted on September 25th, 2019. So it's been a while. And listen, I'm still improving. I got a lot of work that I have to do to get my game to where I want it to be. But I've come a long way. Even still, I need help. I need coaching. So I, you know, an example of this is I recently messaged one of my uh, friends, Cade. He's helped me a lot over the last year or two with form and just improving in that kind of way. He's basically become like a personal coach for me. And I've been dealing with some slight rounding uh, in my throw, not as bad as I used to be when I was first starting out. But as I've been working on some things, I've gotten distracted and I've started over rotating on my extension, which is a big problem. And he was helping point that out. And he was giving me some tips on how to clean it up. He gave me some drills and I'm already noticing a difference. I saw that I was rounding, but it was helpful to talk to someone to say, hey, I'm noticing this too, and here's what you can do about it. And so I wanna encourage you, if you don't have someone who can help you in real time or on the phone or something, you know, sending a video, try to find someone who can do that. It can be me, it can be my Discord uh, server, or just anyone who cares about your improvement as a disc golfer, whether it's a friend or someone online, um, you can find these things. I wanna encourage you to do that because sometimes just watching a video of yourself and trying to make adjustments off of that is not as helpful as having somebody else look at the video. So if you want help with this skill or any other skill, I can coach you um, if you can't find anybody else. And so you can send me a video on GiveGo or join my Discord server and we can do that. Now, I want to quickly get to this next thing, the pro tip for today's episode. I am so excited about this. This week's pro tip comes from a pro that, honestly, you may not have heard of. He's a local pro. He is sponsored by Mint Discs, and his name is Tanner McCartney. Now, if you follow Mint Discs on uh, Instagram, you have seen them share a lot of Tanner stuff before. And I wanna encourage you to go follow Tanner. But a couple days ago, I reached out to Tanner. I've been messaging back and forth with him over the last few weeks, really, really cool guy. Um, I asked him, what is a backhand tip that he tells people that a lot of amateurs don't hear about? You know, um, I wanted something that was going to be fresh, something that would be new, not something that you guys have already heard either me say or somebody else say. And so I asked him, what is a tip that you want to tell people that they probably don't know about, that they don't think about? And here's what he had to say. Feel free to paraphrase this however you'd like, um, but this is gonna be kind of talking about grip and grip pressure 
and where we're applying pressure. I feel like a lot of times you hear people talk about like, oh, you want to use, you know, uh, you want to pinch, you know, with your thumb and pointer finger, which is true. But I feel like because of that, a lot of people are just front loading super heavily. And so a lot of times when the, when the disc is coming out, it's still coming out wobbly um, or even a little bit of nose up. And um, I feel like it's not talked about enough, but really focusing on the back, um, like pressure. So whether you power grip or fan grip, not only focusing on pointer and thumb, you know, securing the front of the disc, but you want to secure the back and really squeeze that disc back into our palm. So it's really secure in our palm. Um, you can just feel it too when, when you do that. That's also going to help generate um, more spin as well, which should translate to a cleaner rotation. And in my opinion, when I, um, just so you can like see, when I squeeze, it actually kind of brings my wrist in a little bit, which I think is really good. You want a little bit of flexion um, in your wrist. You don't, want, you don't want it curled by any means. Um, but you want a, just, just a little bit of flex. Um, and so I feel like also remembering to squeeze with the pinky I, or um, ring finger, whether you're power gripping or fan gripping, is also really important. So uh, making sure grip pressure is good in the front and the back. Thank you, Tanner, for sharing that tip. Grip, guys, is so important. I know we've talked about grip on this channel a lot, you know, the fan grip, the power grip, the modified fan grip, uh, putting grip, using your fingers, you know, we have discussed this. But one of the things that we have not discussed, and I'm so glad that Tanner mentioned this, is the pressure, okay? It's you know, you hear some mixed things out there when it comes to this. So I want to first encourage you to, you know, figure out what works for you. Okay, first and foremost, everybody's going to be a little different. But if you're having some issues with applying too much pressure on the front end right under your thumb, that the rest of your fingers are barely doing anything, you're applying too much pressure on the front. So go ahead and figure out how to adjust that pressure to make all of your fingertips add pressure to the disc. Equal grip among all your fingers is going to help that disc come out so much more cleanly. It's gonna have a much more consistent release and you're going to notice more spin. And as you, and you know, uh, Tanner didn't really talk about this, but I know in my experience, uh, when you get more spin, you're going to get more glide, you're going to get better, more consistent flights. And so that's going to help generate a lot of that spin because you're going to have more than just one tiny singular point that the disc is pivoting around. It's gonna be more pivoting around your hand, which is going to help, especially when there's uh, equal pressure across all your fingertips. So definitely go ahead and give this a shot. I am going to start working on this because I've never necessarily focused on just pressing my thumb down, but I also don't think, I, I think I taper off on my pressure um, with each finger. Like I'll have the most pressure near the front and the least pressure near the back, but um, I wanna try making it more equal so that it's less of a taper and more uh, equal pressure, which I think is going to help a lot. So the best part about all of this though, honestly, is that you can do this with a fan grip, a power grip, or a modified fan grip. You're going to have some variations in there with how much pressure you can apply, and also considering the kind of thrill you're attempting. But you can do it with all of these things as you just apply pressure. Obviously, it's going to be the most easy, uh, or excuse me, it's gonna be the easiest to apply when you have fingers on the rim. 
but you can definitely add some pressure in your grip with fingers that are on the flight plate, whether it's for a fan grip or a modified fan grip. So give this a shot during your next practice session, uh, or if you're out on the course you know, this weekend, go ahead and give it a shot when you throw, test it out, see how it feels. It may feel a little awkward at first, especially if you're used to applying more pressure on the front end, but let me know how it goes for you. And if you aren't already, go ahead and give Tanner a follow on Instagram. His uh, username and everything and link will be in the description of this video and podcast so you can check it out there. Uh, now let's go ahead and let's talk about the Discmania Open uh, in Canada. Super awesome tournament. So I'm excited to talk about it with you guys. Let's go ahead and let's get right into it. Okay, the Discmania Open was really, really cool. In last week's episode, I had gotten it confused thinking it was a different course um, that wasn't on Prince Edward Island. This was on Prince Edward Island, so I apologize for misspeaking there. But very, very cool course. I noticed a lot of new holes, and the you know I wasn't able to listen to all the audio. I had to keep the volume down sometimes, but... I'm fairly certain they were new holes because the fairways look pretty rough and not like, um, you know, the hole wasn't ready to be played, but just more so like the ground itself. There was, it hadn't been completely cleaned up yet, but you could tell that the hole was going to be a very cool hole. It was definitely good enough to play on, but I felt like there were some holes that they had added and created that could use a little cleaning up there. They might've been a little bit newer holes. Uh, one in particular that I'm thinking of is hole six. Now, first off, this course is beautiful and offers unique shots, but hole six I, I, is the one where it goes straight and then it's a dog leg right and then another dog leg left. And it was a par four. Apparently the tournament director tried to change it to a par five right before, but wasn't able to get that to happen. But anyway, a very cool hole because the trees are so tall. So in round one, Eagle attempted to go over all the trees and he did. He still got a bogey because he was struggling to scramble from his uh, his initial lie. He had a pretty good lie, but then he had a, a not great second shot and that kind of set him back a little bit. But the trees are tall enough that if you're going to commit to the high line, you have to really commit to it. So it's definitely a tough hole. It was beautiful. It was unique. It was not something you see a lot where, you know, you either have to follow the path or you can't go over. There was a good mix there, some high risk, high reward for those uh, big arms out in the field. Uh, like I said, the course definitely needs some cleaning up in some of the fairways like that one and a few others. But I will say I like the changes that they made. It was challenging in my opinion, but it still lets you appreciate what the course brings. It still lets you uh, really see what these professionals are capable of. Speaking of what they're capable of, Ella Hansen winning her first Disc Golf Pro Tour event. She played so well and she was in a very small field. Now, even though she was in that small field, she played really well, especially when we get to the results here, you'll hear, you'll see the separation between her and the rest of the field. But just, you know, to be transparent, the, uh, the field was small, like super small, like seven people total, seven FPO players total is if, let me actually uh, look at this real quick to double check while I'm talking about it. Uh, yes, seven FPO uh, players. So like I said, small, and when we get to the results, you'll see that she definitely separated herself from the rest of the field. 
but she played well. She deserved the win and uh, super happy for her. Those jerseys being the hockey jerseys, love it. Great touch. I think they've done something like that every year. Um, I know there was, uh, I think the preserve, no, the preserve does the, uh, the, the bear. There's another Minnesota tournament. I think it was the Blue Ribbon Pines one, the tournament at that course where they do a Minnesota Wild hockey jersey. So I love that that is the jersey there in Canada as well. Very, very cool. Awesome, awesome trophy. Uh, awesome trophy there. Uh, MPO, on the other hand, was a little bit of a different story. You had a lot more players. You didn't have the full field. A lot of players that would have otherwise played in MPO ended up staying in the States after Worlds and going down to Massachusetts to prepare for MVP Open, which we'll get to in a little bit. But I will say it was just great seeing some close competition in MPO. We had Eagle and Isaac going to a playoff, which is awesome. Uh, the reason why I say it's awesome is it is really cool seeing Isaac not have uh, you know, like a world's hangover. Like he literally was just crowned world champion last week and he comes out this week swinging and he's competing and he's right there for the victory, but Eagle is able to hold on in the playoff. Um, that says a lot to his mental game and just his ability to perform under pressure and not uh, be distracted by things outside of what he's trying to do now, which is a huge huge skill and gives him the upper hand in a lot of situations. Um, so Isaac, definitely very, very talented golfer. I think we're going to be talking about him for many, many years to come. Insanely talented golfer. Happy for Eagle to get the victory. Uh, it's his. It's not his first victory this season, but I think it's been a little while. So happy for him. Uh, he's been playing well, but you can tell, especially at this course, even the commentators were talking about this. You can tell he's missing his power forehand that he used to have before he injured his shoulder big time a couple years ago. Um, he can still throw a forehand further than most people, even with a more compact form. But I mean, Eagle was throwing like five, 600 foot forehand shots. Um, and it was just insane. And, you know, that just was a cheat code in so many ways. And so I definitely think he's missing that. And that it would have been very helpful for him at this course. But, you know, it is what it is. So, uh, unfortunately, he's going to have to, you know, figure out a little bit around that. But he played well, well enough to win. Good for him. Gavin Babcock was also playing and had a really good weekend. It was cool to see him on Lee Card coverage because we normally don't get to see him a lot. And it's just really cool watching him play. Uh, a lot of power in his throws. And he's a really good putter too, you know. Uh, he probably one of his best shots ever was last year when he won the $10,000 uh, GK Pro Skins match, Ace Pot. And um, it was, you know, about a 300 foot shot with a, with a Prodigy M3. This is when he was on Prodigy last year. He's on Discmania this year. And so there was all that. But he did well. Super cool. Let's go ahead and let's get into the results about it. Um, and let's talk about it. So Eagle McMahon, first place, minus 16. So this track was challenging. It was definitely tough. Uh, definitely tested the players. Isaac Robinson was also minus 16, but second place because he lost the playoff. Gavin Babcock, third place at minus 10. Fourth place, Aiden Scott at minus 7. 
Uh, fifth place, Jake Wolf at minus six. Sixth place, Andrew Fish at minus five. Seventh place, Raven Newsom at minus four. Eighth place, Connor O'Reilly at minus three. And then ninth place, Thomas Gilbert, the Canadian, at even par. And then 10th place, we had a tie with Jake Mon and Chandler Fry at plus one. So this, this course really seemed to be pretty challenging. I mean, winning scores over three rounds was minus 16. So shooting five to six under par was going to keep you in the running uh, for the victory, which I don't feel like is a very common thing that we see. Now, I do think the field wasn't as big as it normally is, so you're missing some uh, overall skill sets there. But we have two top tier pros, um, like like top, top tier. They're all top tier. I mean, these guys are phenomenal. But definitely with like Eagle and Isaac, you know, ridiculously good disc golfers and they shot minus 16. So I don't know that other players would have shot ridiculously better, uh, but we don't know. We won't know until next year if they decide to change up the schedule a little bit, but super happy to see this. Uh, good for them. Good for Eagle. Now let's go ahead and let's get to FPO. We had first place Ella Hansen at plus four. Second place, Deanne Carey at plus 13. So Ella had a nine stroke victory. Third place, Juliana Corver at plus 18. Fourth place, Karen Martell at plus 20. Fifth place, Emily Yale, plus 22. Sixth place, Ratana Meekum at plus 24. And seventh place, Isabel Bork, plus 41. So it seems like the only players that were that are actively touring being are Ella, Deanne, and Juliana, and they got first, second, third. And then I would imagine the other four women are all local uh, Canadian players. So awesome for them, happy for them. A small FPO field, but that's okay because it's also kind of understandable because now we have the MVP Open at Maple Hill. Possibly everyone's favorite tournament of the year. Um, it's just such a cool track. So, so cool. Uh, pretty much all the pros are going to be here because it's a playoff event. So the playoff means that the points earned at this event are higher than other elite uh, and silver series events. I think about one and a half times higher. And so that's really cool because that means players who are on the bubble of making it to the Disc Golf Pro Tour Championship match play and for the big grand prize like it's been in years past of $30,000, they, they have the opportunity to sneak in it with a really good weekend um, where they get a lot of points and that kind of thing. So this event is important. Even if you're already in, it's going to affect seeding, okay, which will affect who you play. And then also if you're getting near the bubble, okay, and maybe not quite on the bubble, but if you're near the bubble, but you're technically in, you don't want to get pushed out because a bunch of players who were on the bubble were able to beat you and everything. So definitely people are going to be here, which is awesome because Maple Hill is such a cool course. Now, I've had the pleasure of playing Maple Hill. I played it a few years back with Noah Cronin of Daily Disc Golf. So if you know Noah, you know his channel. Awesome, awesome guy. And I gotta say, it was a blast. We played the white tees. We did not play the gold tees. But here's what I'll say. The gold tees, oh my word. They are so hard. The camera does not do it justice. 
that is such a challenging layout. There are so many holes where, you know, some of the tee pads might be like all the color tee pads, you know, being from one or like, like white, blue and yellow, or excuse me, like white, blue and gold might be from one tee pad. And so I was able to see some of these because I was playing them. But even when we checked out the gold tees when I wasn't playing them, there are some baskets that because of tree coverage and that kind of thing too, you almost can't see the basket. Because the Christmas tree farm hole one or this, that, and the other thing, it, you know, with shade, it, it almost feels like you can't see the basket on some of these holes because you're so far away. And not only that, the elevation is real. You have obstacles all throughout the fairways with the Christmas tree farm and then just trees in general once you're into the woods. And then the gaps are so small and it just feels like the cameras show you how tough it is. But those water shots, oh, when you finally see those water shots in person, and then it's like, Simon, you were throwing a backhand turnover putter shot on uh, the one where a lot of guys go forehand over the water. Um, I forget. I think that's like hole 13 or something. To, to see him do that, it's like, oh, you know, you know, you know, if with enough power, I could probably do that or I would, you know, try it with a mid range maybe or or a driver on Anheuser, let's say. But then you're actually on the tee pad and you see the gap that they have to hit and you realize, wow, that is tough. So it is definitely a tough layout. Um Noah recommended that we play the whites because the golds would not be as good of a time. It's definitely one of those things where you need to have elite distance. Um, Maple Hill is a private course and Gage and uh, the couple of the people that work there, you know, they basically have a chart that says ratings that would score well there. So like you're visiting, it's like you basically want to be, <clears throat> I think it was like 975 or 1000 rated to play the golds and to you know, probably enjoy it and play it well. And then it was all tiered down from there. So definitely a challenging course. One of these days, I want to make it back up there, Noah, if you're listening, I want to make it back up there and I want to play golds. You know, we may have to uh, reserve two tee times on two different days so that we can play golds one day, be really miserable. And then the next day go and have fun or something like that. But I cannot wait to watch this event. It is such a fun event. It is always a blast. And I wouldn't be surprised if Simon competes well because it's pretty much his home course. And you may remember that Simon has done pretty well here. So well, in fact, that he came back to win last year. Uh, He is the defending champion. And so, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I wouldn't say pressure because Simon, um, in a weird sort of way, Simon has gone through this transformation where Um, he's been able to handle expectations and pressure a lot better than when he was younger. But, uh, you know, obviously, you know, there's a lot of maturity that comes with that as well. So I'm hoping that he wins. I'll definitely be picking him. But the other thing is that he has a 12-speed driver in his bag finally. And so, as you know, the Simon line has just released and there's the time lapse. And the time lapse is basically... Uh, flight number wise, I can't say because I haven't actually gotten one. Um, but the time lapse basically seems like a um, destroyer DD3 cloudbreaker type disc 12.5 minus 1.3 for the flight numbers. 
And we saw what Simon did with discs like that. And it is so exciting to think about the fact that he now has that disc back in his bag at Maple Hill. So he's going to be throwing that disc all over the place. It might be to his detriment, but I bet he has been throwing that disc a ton the last week and a half. So I am super excited to see uh, what he can do uh, and, and that kind of thing. And I can't wait to see how he performs. So let's go ahead and I checked UDisc before starting this episode, and we can pick MVP Open Grip 6 picks. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to do that. So for the MVP Open, I'm definitely going to go with Simon. Yep, he's there. I actually just realized that I was picking him. I didn't actually make sure uh, that he was there. I'm also going to go Chris Dickerson. Chris has been playing really well the last month or so. He thrives in woods golf. So I'm going to go with Chris Dickerson. And then I want to, oh man, there's Isaac there too. But, oh man, Anthony Barella got second. Man, this, see the thing about this course that's so hard is it is so challenging and you never know. I mean, you never really know how a pro is going to perform, but there are so many things that can go wrong at Maple Hill because of OB and then just, you know, so many obstacles and trees in the way, not even just OB, but it's just such a tough course that it's hard to fully commit to someone. Um, but let's go with, man. I'm going to go with Nicholas Antela. He's been playing really well also. Hopefully he can uh, work through some of the, uh, the, the pressure on the putting green, especially when he's on lead card coverage, he seems to struggle some days, not all days, but some days on the putting green. So we're going to go Lazat, Dickerson, and Antela for MPO. And for FPO, I, you know, I'm probably picking the same as everybody else. Kristen Tatar. Oh, Own Scoggins is here. I'm not going to uh, pick Own because she's recovering from injury. And I don't know how she'll perform, and she may drop out. Like, she may be trying to practice. I'm not entirely certain, but I'm going to go Missy Gannon, Kristen Tatar, and Valerie Mendejano. Uh, she's another good Woods player, good control on the backhand and the forehand. So my grip six pick is our, uh, is Lazat, Dickerson, Antela, Tatar, Gannon, and Valerie Mendejano. So I'm going to save those. Let's go ahead and put this tiebreaker in. Uh, and yes, yeah, so I'm super excited. I'll be sharing that on Instagram. I'll be sharing on the Discord server. Uh, but yeah, that is episode 28, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me and for listening and for watching. If you're on YouTube, I appreciate it. If you got this far, I would appreciate it so much if you would like, subscribe, follow on uh, your favorite podcast app and share this with your friends and family and everybody who plays disc golf. It would mean the world to me. Uh, thank you so much. That's how we can get this good news out and talk to people about disc golf and introduce them to this amazing sport. All right, you guys. So that is all that I have for you today. I hope you found uh, this episode helpful, that you uh, are intrigued to try throwing an understable disc to help you improve your form, help you improve some mechanics. I hope the tip 
from Tanner McCartney was super helpful for you. I'm excited to try it. I can't wait to do it uh, this weekend and just work on that grip a little bit. I'm so excited for Maple Hill. I, I hope you are too. Make sure you share your grip six picks with me. Tag me on Instagram or throw them into the Discord server. Uh, but that is it, everybody. Make sure as we sign off here that you go and teach somebody how to play disc golf. Be an encouragement to them. Coach someone. Help someone. Introduce someone new to the sport. So go ahead and do that. And don't forget to have fun and play this weekend. Enjoy it. We should have some beautiful weather all around the country. So thank you so much for listening, everybody. And until next time, have a great round.